Amen. Well, let me invite you to turn in your worship guide to page three. I'm going to read this passage that's printed, and then invite you to respond uh, as directed below. Would you listen now with open ears as I read from this, the book that we love? The reading comes from the 95th Psalm, verses 7b through 10. Hear now these words. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For 40 years, I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Oh, Father God, we come to you now. Uh, We've come in this room. We've listened to these songs. We've participated in the singing. We've confessed our sins. We've heard of your glorious uh, pardon. Lord, we've prayed for our world. We've heard of this reverse offering. And Lord, I recognize that as we come here, as we assemble today, we it no doubt come from all sorts of different places. Some of us come in this room and our lives are filled to overflowing with good things. Others of us come here, Lord, and things are not right at all. Uh, Some of us come with deep and profound physical problems. Others of us come here uh, being in a season of lasting depression, anxiety. Lord, some of us come in here uh, having believed in you for a long time and expectant to see what you will say to us in this time in your scripture. Others of us come in here and we are uh, very doubtful as to whether you're real and if you are, whether you're good. And Lord, I pray that whatever place we find ourselves in today, whether we come here in joy or in despair, whether we come here with faith or with many doubts, I pray that you would give us grace to see that in the way that matters the most, we all come here ultimately the same. We've all come with an overwhelming and an unrelenting need to hear from you, to know you, and to be changed by you. And I pray today that as this passage says, that we would know your ways through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning and welcome. Uh, We are in our uh, spring and summer sermon series that we're calling With a Mighty Hand, Becoming Reacquainted with the Power of God. And this is a sermon series that concerns the first part of the book of Exodus. This is the story of God calling and delivering his people from profound oppression, from profound mistreatment in the land of Egypt, and bringing them in to their own land. But, you say, Darren, there must be a typo. Now, we have dramatically reduced our typos. I just want to say thanks to the staff at Ironworks. It is not a typo today. We are uh, looking at Psalm 95 uh, on this topic of the hardened heart. Right? So I'm going to use this microphone, actually. See if this works better. Okay. There it is. So we're in this uh, book of Exodus, and the most difficult teaching in the entire book of Exodus, from my perspective, as I've been uh, studying this and reflecting on this and preparing to preach to you, 
Uh, there's been one topic in particular that I have not looked forward to, and that, of course, uh, is this, what I think is the most repeated concept in the entire narrative of the plagues of Egypt, and that is the uh, concept of hardening. So I actually have here the numbers of times. So in the plague narrative, four times, God says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. Six times, it says, Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Three times, it says, Pharaoh hardened his heart. And then another six times, it says, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. And as I've thought about this, and I've actually received uh, some pastoral questions of folks wrestling with these concepts, uh, this, is, this is a passage that's very difficult. This is a concept that is very difficult. This is the kind of teaching that can challenge your faith in ways that few others can, right? And I want, you, I want to help just raise the problem up for you a little bit, right? When we are talking about this concept, what's happening is that God is saying, Pharaoh will not listen to my voice, because I will harden his heart, and as a result of that, if you read through the plagues with a fresh eye, you'll see that the entire nation was absolutely decimated economically, their livestock, their water supply, and then ultimately their children. Right? And I, if we're going to be intellectually honest, we cannot pass through the difficulty of this teaching too quickly. What is going on in this? And I have to say that I'd be tempted to pass over this because it's difficult. However, when we read this narrative, we cannot but come away from the sheer number of times this statement is repeated, except with the understanding that this must be crucial in the mind of God for his people, that this must be a crucial teaching. And indeed, uh, this teaching on hardened hearts will come up again and again and again in Scripture. In fact, it features rather prominently in the New Testament. So, for example, the Lord Jesus Christ, as he is teaching about who he is and he is about to heal a man on the Sabbath, he has very, very, very schooled Bible teachers in his presence. They are listening to what he says and they are getting ready to pounce on him if he heals this man on the Sabbath. And it says that Jesus was grieved by their hardness of heart. Relatedly, uh, if you recall, the disciples uh, experienced Jesus feeding a crowd of about 5,000 people. And then shortly after that, uh, they go with Jesus on a boat. They cross the sea an incredible storm comes, and we understand that this must have been a profoundly dangerous storm because several of these disciples were fishermen by trade. They would have spent a lot of time on vessels, and they were absolutely terrified. And the narrative concludes with these words. It says, Then Jesus climbed into the boat with them. This is when he's walking on the water. And the wind died down. And the disciples were utterly astounded. And then it says this, for they had not understood about the loaves, referring to the feeding of the 5,000, but their hearts had been hardened. 
You see, friends, this comes up over and over and over again. And I will tell you that my primary concern, by the way, is not simply to address this difficulty of what is God doing in hardening hearts or hearts being hardened or people hardening their own hearts. All three are used in the narrative, right? It's not simply to address that, but I have a larger concern that I want to speak very frankly with you about. Right? I am grieved by the hardness of heart that I have seen in some of you. I just want to be honest. Right? I, have a, I have a bigger pastoral concern than simply addressing the intellectual difficulties that come with this passage. And the bigger concern is that every single one of us, myself included, lie in danger of being just like those disciples, just like those Pharisees, and dare I say, even just like Pharaoh, and having our hearts hardened. And my main goal is to see us turn to a different way today. So let's try to do that together. I'm going to walk through this passage, uh, pointing out... um, what I believe to be the main teaching of it, and attempting to answer uh, these questions together. So I've already said that in the narrative of the Exodus, that we see a variety of language used concerning the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. The first language, of course, is God saying, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. He predicts it before it even happens, of course. Uh, And then we have the passive voice that his heart was hardened. And then we have the active voice from Pharaoh himself, where it says that Pharaoh hardened his heart. And then we conclude with the active voice, uh, with the Lord hardening his heart. What is going on here? Well, the first thing I want to talk about is what is hardening in the Bible's sense of it? What is hardening? And we see it come out in our passage here. I picked this passage because I felt like this summary actually concerning Israel's hardening that happens just after the Exodus, uh, is helpful to our quest today. So the passage begins with this. It says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as at Meribah, as on the day of Massa in the wilderness. And here we have our first indication of what hardening is, right? You wonder, what is a hardened heart? How does that work? Well, the first answer It is a response to hearing the voice of the Lord, right? I.e., if you want to know, when might I become hardened? The answer is right now, okay? God is speaking in Scripture, right? When you go home and you watch the Nets, does anyone watch the Nets? No, I don't know. Um, When you go home and do something else, right, and you have your entertainment on, It's probably not when you're in the danger of being hardened, right? When are you in the most danger of being hardened? And the answer is when you are encountering the voice of God, such as right now. This is when it happens. And that's why he says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. You see, you cannot be hardened to that which you do not hear. Uh, It's interesting, in the Exodus narrative, when God predicts the hardening of Pharaoh's heart, what he says is that he will not listen to you, Moses, 
but instead his heart will become hardened. You see how that works? The hardening of Pharaoh is not something that happens in isolation. It happens over and over and over and over again when God reveals his power to Pharaoh and Pharaoh chooses to go in a different direction, to not listen to the voice of the Lord, but to go in a different direction. Uh, Chrissy and I, some years ago, had the privilege of hosting a friend of ours, uh, his daughter, came to live with us, and she had been uh, raised in a Christian family and stayed with us for some time. We really enjoyed having her with us, and then all of a sudden, uh, she decided, uh, had to, having met a guy, she decided that she was going to go live with this guy that she had met, that she was in love, that he was her world. And I remember saying to her, you know, don't do this. Let me plead with you, don't do this. Do not run from the Lord. And I want to tell you what she said. This is what she said. She said, yeah, I know that this is wrong, but I just really want this. And you know, I think what I'm going to do is I am just going to enjoy this for a while, and then I'll stop. So it'll be fine. That's what she said to me, right? And that was the year 2010, nine years later. She is much farther gone than in that year. And I actually said this to her. I said, you think that you will come back, right? You're a fool, right? Why? Because this is how hardness works. You see, when you hear the voice of the Lord, and when your heart does not respond in faith, what happens oftentimes is that you become unable to hear more in the future. And theologians talk of it in this way. They say that hardening uh, in the teaching of the Scripture is actually a judgment Hardening is a judgment. So, for example, uh, in Romans chapter 1, and to a significant extent, by the way, I think Romans is a reflection on the hardening of man and the response of God. So it's good extracurricular reading if you'd like to learn more about this teaching. But this is how Romans begins. In Romans chapter 1, verse 28, it says, And since they, talking about all people, right, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Do you hear how that works? They respond to the knowledge of God by turning away one time. And the judgment that God gives, as he says, you want to turn away from me? Okay, I'll let you. And he turns away and he no longer... Uh, gives them his grace to understand what he is saying, and they just go further and further and further and further and further. And I will tell you, friends, that if you're here today, uh, and if you are or have been in a season of hardening, I will tell you that you do not know where the rabbit trail will end. One commentator, I think very helpfully, uh, explains what's happening in Exodus this way. He says that Pharaoh was like a god. In fact, the Egyptians believed that Pharaoh was a god. And so when you read in the early plagues of Moses and Aaron uh, doing some kind of miracle, right, turning the staff into a snake, turning the Nile into blood, 
It's the first thing that happens. Pharaoh summons his magicians, and they basically do the same thing, right? That there was power there. That Pharaoh was a man of profound power. And one commentator says this. He says, the point of the hardening narrative is God declaring victory over Pharaoh, not just in the events that unfold, but even in the battleground of his own heart. And this is what he's saying. He's saying to Pharaoh, you believe that you have equal power as me over the Nile, over staffs, right? over the land, over livestock, over the economy. You don't even have power over your own heart, Pharaoh. And friends, I want, I want to let that sit really well with you this morning. I want you to hear that. You do not even have power even over your own heart this morning. That's God's message to Pharaoh. Now, how are we to uh, think about the fact that it, in some passages in Exodus, it says that Pharaoh hardened his heart. In other passages, it says his heart was hardened without naming a source. And then in other passages, it says that the Lord hardened his heart. And then yet still in other passages, God says, I will harden his heart. What's going on there? Well, I'm going to try to help explain this to you as best I can, uh, leveraging the teaching of Scripture. And I want to lay down a couple of uh, foundational points here. Point number one, okay? There is nothing more clear than the fact that our God whom we serve is holy and just and righteous. And what does that mean? Right? Unless you're unclear about this. What does that mean, that he's holy, just, and righteous? Answer, he is never unfair. Right? I, I've had folks sit with me and I, uh, very understandably say, you know, when I read this, it seems unfair. Presupposition number one, right? while there's a lot of mystery in this, presupposition one is that God, at his essence, is never unfair. That's the first thing. Right? Secondly, the world is more complex than we are used to thinking of it in, okay? The world is more complex than we are used to thinking of it in, right? So, for example, uh, the Scripture has no problem with saying Pharaoh hardened his heart in one sentence, and another one saying the Lord hardened his his heart. And this is actually a concept that comes up in all sorts of teachings. My favorite being in the second chapter of Philippians. Paul says this to his readers. He says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, right? You better work hard and you better be afraid as you're doing it, right? Be trembling before the Lord. And then what's he say in the next breath? Because it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to do for his own good pleasure. Well, which is it, guys? Are you to work out your f salvation with fear and trembling, or is God the one working it out? And this is not an isolated case, but over and over and over again, the Bible's unequivocal answer is yes. Yes. The uh, Westminster Confession of Faith, I think, so helpfully articulates uh, this paradox, and it says this. It says, God ordains everything that comes to pass, that he's in control of all things, but not in such a way 
that does violence to the will of the creature. You see, both are active and both are true. And the way that I, the way that I sort of think about this, particularly in uh, Pharaoh's story, is this. Right? And this is, this is I think, um, what's helpful to understand. You see, it's easy from our American comfortable vantage point to read the story of the Exodus and for some of us to have compassion on Pharaoh. You know, poor Pharaoh. Right? He, he just, he was not able to see what was right in front of his face. But friends, I want to tell you that uh, as we read the Exodus story, I want to ask you and plead with you to read it anew with fresh eyes and to see this. Pharaoh was an overwhelmingly despicable man who used every ounce of his power to control, to oppress, to punish unfairly. So for example, after Moses goes in and uh, declares that they're leaving, Pharaoh then doubles or triples the workload of the people of Israel. And when the foremen are not able to provide what they have been unfairly asked to, he has the foreman beaten, tortured, assaulted. All right, this is not a man that you would want to be a servant to. You would not want to be in his presence. He was a despicable man. And in this case, the Lord comes in and uh, he declares who he is to Pharaoh in unequivocal terms with displays of power like none other. And Pharaoh just keeps getting harder and harder and harder and harder. And so the scripture presents it both in these ways. In one sense, it says Pharaoh is the source of his own hardening. On the other hand, it says that the Lord is the source of his own hardening. The way that theologians have tried to make sense of this is by understanding that when you turn away from the voice of the Lord, the judgment for that is a harder heart that will make it even harder to turn back in the future. Uh, Jesus was very concerned about this uh, concept. In fact, in the parable of the sower, if you uh, recall that teaching, he says this parable is the key to understanding everything that I'm saying, to understanding all the parables that I teach. And what does he do? He goes in and he says, you know, farmer casts seed, seed lands on, you know, this, the, we didn't have precision farming in the time of Jesus, okay? Did not have precision farming, something I'm really excited about today, right? They were very inefficient. They would just throw the seed down and he said some of it would land on the thorns, some of it would land on the path, some of it would land on the rocky soil, and that some of it would land on the good soil. And it's interesting because of the hardened path, that's the path that's beat down by feet all day long, he describes it in this way. He says the ones uh, who are like the path, they are the one who Satan comes and takes away the word before it can take any root at all. And Jesus, of course, is, saying, is pleading with his disciples, he's pleading with his hearers, and he's pleading with us today to take care in how we listen. So, what is hardening? The answer that I'm proposing to you today is that hardening is a judgment by God given to those of us who turn away. Right? We think that we have control over our own hearts. We think, like my friend, nine years ago, 
He said, I will do this for a little bit of time and then I'll just come back. You know, we'll just sort of like live life in a balanced way. No, it does not work that way. Well, similarly, we have in this story that uh, over and over and over again, God displays his power in absolute high definition. And in every case, Pharaoh is unwilling to bow the knee before God. So what do we do with this? What do we do with this teaching? Well, uh, the book of Hebrews is actually, uh, to a significant extent, reflecting on uh, the 95th Psalm, and particularly on this passage, and it's concerning these very things. And this is what the author of Hebrews says in chapter 3, verse 13. He says, you know, as you think about the history of people, as you think about our own experience, his own people, he says this, he says, exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, referring back to verse 7, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And you see, friends, I want to propose a couple, uh, couple tangible things that we can do, that we can think about, as we hear this warning of the Scripture, and we seek to be those who are soft to God, who are not hardened. What's the first thing? Well, from Hebrews, number one, he says, exhort one another every day. Here's the first answer that this author gives. If you want to be someone who's not hardened to God, right? What's the first thing he says? Live in community. Do you hear that? He says, don't just hear from God in the Scriptures, right? They, had already, they know the Scriptures very well. The Pharisees knew it very well, better than anyone else at their time. He said, you don't need to simply hear it. You need to be exhorted by others, right? And I will tell you that more often than not, in probably 100% of cases, when I have watched folks go from being in community to isolation or go from being in isolation to staying in isolation, I believe in 100% of the cases that there was hardness. That's what this passage is saying. First thing he says is, you want to avoid this? Number one, live in community, but not just any community, the kind of community where you will both exhort others and be exhorted by them. It's one, one reason I want to commend to you uh, this idea of the men's prayer partners. You know, it's, um, men are different than women, by the way, um, just to be clear about that. And the women have had prayer partners. They've had a thriving Facebook group and, and all sorts of things. They've had like three retreats, and the men have brewed beer a couple of times together, right? We're still working on a retreat. We're still working. We're just now starting prayer partners. You know, we're, we're a little bit slow. But I want to say this, that uh, if you don't have anyone in your life who's exhorting you, I want to plead with you to seek that out, right? One way you can do that, by the way, is to actually approach people and say, I just want you to know that I'm open to hearing from you about the hard things, and, and then really mean that, and then give them the space and the permission to do that. So that's the first thing, is live in the kind of community where you will be exhorted. The second thing uh, comes from Jesus' teaching on the soils, uh, and the point, of course, of the teaching is this, that the Word of God, as it goes forth in its various forms and its various places, has this as its goal, right? What is the goal of the Word of God that you're hearing right now today? What's its goal? 
Very simply put, from the mouth of Jesus Christ, he says, to bear fruit. It's the whole point of the parable of the soils. He says, you know, seed falls here, it's, it's strangled. Seed falls here, Satan takes it. Seed falls here, the guy gets money and then is like, oh, what do I need this for? Right? Strangled over and over again. But then some falls on the good soil. That's a soil that receives it, and it's known by one defining factor. Answer, it bears fruit. And that's, um, I think, the, the other side of the coin to hardness is what's the opposite of hardness? Answer, it's the bearing of fruit. That's why Jesus will say uh, on, a, on a couple of occasions, take care in how you hear. How should you hear? Answer, in such a way that your life changes as a result. And that's why, by the way, being in church can actually be a spiritually dangerous experience. Being in church can be a spiritually dangerous experience. In fact, one of, I think, the most dangerous experiences spiritually that exists that I've ever been aware of is being a Bible student. Has anyone gone to a Bible college? Okay, very dangerous. <laughs> Christy and I, when we first moved here, we used to go to um, Rocco's Pizza for their, at the time, $5 pizza night. And we were sitting there one evening, and we were listening to this table, these younger folks. They were just arguing, arguing, and then they started cussing at each other. And finally, we discerned that they were arguing about the teaching of Revelation, right? <laughs> that they were Bible students arguing about the teaching of Revelation. We're like, what is going on over at that table? What's, you know, we should have be concerned here. They're really getting animated. Well, they were, you know, they were debating God's Word, of course, right? what happens. And I will tell you that Bible students often have this really bad why. Why do Bible students, look, I've been there, okay? Why do Bible students have this really bad? Because when you go to Bible school, it's really easy, right, to hear the Word of God and to either A, be obsessed with analyzing it and figuring out who's right, right, or B, it just becomes so commonplace that you don't even think about it. But in either event, the result is that you hear the Word of God, and the idea of bearing fruit with what you've heard couldn't be farther from your mind. That's the danger of Bible school. That's the danger of church. But Jesus says, take care how you listen. Today, if you hear His voice, take care how you listen. Listen with the quest to bear fruit. And the passage, our passage today puts it in this way that I think is so helpful. It says this. He says uh, in verse 10, they are a people who go astray in their hearts. And then it says this, and they have not known my ways. And you see, friends, the ultimate goal, the ultimate goal of the communication of God, you know, we've used this language as to bear fruit, right? But even that is not the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is that as you bear fruit, as you take care with how you listen, as his communication comes to you, that the result would be that you would not simply know about God, you would not simply win the argument on the teaching of Revelation, right? But that you would know his ways. It's interesting, as we're looking for a church planter right now, I've talked to two potential guys this week, very exciting, had incredible conversations, but I'll tell you, one of the things that's at the top of my list as I talk to these guys who are, have incredible resumes, right? I mean, they, you know, they just have wonderful uh, CVs of their service to the church, of their education, of all this stuff. And one of the things that I sit here thinking, 
that's really hard to assess until you really actually get to know a person is this, okay, you're really impressive, more impressive than me, like a lot of people, that's cool, but do you know God's ways? How do you assess that in a person? Right? How do you assess that in yourself? That's what's at stake here in our passage. That's what was at stake with Pharaoh. He had heard of God, but he did not know his ways. It's interesting, in the book of Job, he uses kind of similar language. Job, of course, was very devout, has an encounter with God unlike any other, and at the end of it, he said, I had heard of you with the hearing of my ear. I knew about you, but now my eyes have seen you. So how are we going to do that today, friends? How are we going to do that going forward? How are we going to be people who bear fruit? And of course, the ultimate answer, uh, I think, is given to us in the book of Romans, as Romans is largely about uh, this concept of hardening, of, of how the world became hardened over time. And Paul will conclude it in this way. He'll say that God has consigned everyone to sin, right? that the hardness has come, that everyone has received this judgment, that he might show mercy to all. If you read in the 11th chapter of Romans, it's very deep, very profound. But what Paul is saying is this, is that God's plan, even that plan that includes hardening, and you can see that even in Pharaoh, is that every act in the world would point and lead to the time when God would just open up the floodgates of mercy in the person of Jesus Christ. You see, there is one thing that can truly dissolve a hardened heart. If you're here and your heart is hardened, or if there's someone in your life that you care very deeply about and they are very hardened, right, what can dissolve that hardened heart? Right? You think about the things that Pharaoh saw, by the way, right? The Nile and the blood, the gnats, the locusts, right? None of those things worked. There's one thing that has the power to break the hardest of hearts wide open, and that is the broken body of Jesus Christ. And Paul will get at this in Romans when he will say, it is his kindness that can lead us to repentance. You see, the story of the world is a story of increasing hardness and then in the crux and the center of it all, God comes to people who are so hardened that they, they are seeking to take the life of Jesus because he you know, had the gall to heal a man on the Sabbath. That's how bad things had become. It's how hardened these folks were. And he says, the only answer is for me to be the one that's broken, for there to be a death. And Jesus did that unflinchingly, as he goes to the cross, as he takes upon himself the punishment for even the hardest of hearts, so that every single one of you today could know God's ways, that you could see him with no distractions, that you could gaze upon his holiness with all of your sins and all of your failures and all of the things you've done wrong, and he would look at you and say, this is my son, in whom I am well pleased. This is my daughter, in whom I am well pleased. And this is called the gospel. And friends, my hope and my prayer for you and for myself and for my family is that we would be a people who hear, that we would be a people who bear fruit, 
that we would be a people who know God's ways, and most specifically, that we know His ways through Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us together now.